Welcome to Fair Conversations, a podcast about the future of food for investors. I'm Joe Raven, Senior Manager of Research and Engagements at Fair, and today we'll be discussing what the UN has called the silent pandemic within our food systems that's threatening food security, the environment, industries from farming to pharmaceuticals and global public health. Antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, is the emergence of superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. It's currently responsible for around 700,000 deaths a year, and the World Bank estimates that it could wipe 11% of the world's GDP by 2050. Animal farming is a key contributor to this crisis, given that an estimated 70% of all antimicrobial use happens within animal agriculture. Without tackling the widespread overuse and misuse of antibiotics in livestock, it's likely AMR could become the next global pandemic. Here with me today to discuss the implications of this threat are Professor Will Gaze of the University of Exeter Medical School and David Supros, Vice President, Senior Research Analyst at Alliance Bernstein. In the first of a two-part series on AMR, today we'll be looking at the environmental impacts of this crisis and what investors are doing to address this risk. The content or views in this podcast do not constitute investment advice and any views expressed are those of the contributor. So a very warm welcome to you both. It's great to have you here today, David and Will. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. So AMR is a systemic risk that's impacting economies and societies around the world. But what exactly is the agricultural industry's role in this crisis? Perhaps, Will, we can start off with you. Livestock production accounts for about 70% of global antibiotic usage. And although in some cases the antibiotics are not exactly the same compounds, often they're within the same class. And in general, any antibiotic, what we call selection, selective pressure that drives evolution of resistance, it's contributing to emergence of antibiotic resistance in human pathogens. That's because there's a very particular way in which bacteria actually evolve. They can actually pass genetic material between themselves rather than from mother to daughter as or to, to offspring. So rather than vertical transmission, we also get this horizontal transmission of resistance, which means that resistance can spread very rapidly within microbial populations even between different species. So that means we don't have to be using just medically important antibiotics. Well, in animal agriculture, we can be using veterinary only and that will have an impact on human health as well, given the the way it it transfers. That's the, the potential because these transmissible elements that transfer antibiotic resistance can actually have multiple resistance mechanisms on the same what we call mobile genetic element. That can be many different antibiotic resistance mechanisms, but even resistance mechanisms to biocides, disinfectants, and even metals that can be used in agriculture and those antibiotic resistance. So there's even the potential for co-selection by non-antibiotics for antibiotic resistance. We hear the public health threat of AMR, which is pretty widely known But the environmental risks are much less talked about. And 
I recall a recent study that found that at least two-thirds of the world's waterways contain unsafe levels of antibiotics. So how is the use and, and the manufacture of antibiotics impacting the natural environment? And what are the knock-on effects? The residues of antibiotics that are excreted by both humans and animals and that are produced during the manufacturing of antibiotics, they can enter the natural environment where even though they're at quite low concentrations, those concentrations can still drive this emergence and amplification of, of resistance within microbial populations. The critical question is, yes, whether those concentrations of antibiotics that we see in the environment can drive resistance. And what we find is that in some cases they can. In recent years, we've seen much more investor engagement across sectors, including food companies focused on reducing unnecessary uses of antibiotics, uh, including FAIR's engagement with quick service companies. And more recently, we've seen the Investor Action on AMR initiative all focused on looking at ways to curb use of antibiotics. So, David, tell us, why is this issue of importance to investors? Uh, thanks, Joe. Well, first, there's the more obvious connection to profit for the companies that are affected by a reduction in the unnecessary use of antibiotics. Uh, as a healthcare analyst, I look at companies where antimicrobial resistance is an important issue. More specifically, there are animal health companies where, as you said, over two-thirds of antimicrobial use is in animal agriculture. So, it's incumbent on me as an analyst to understand what these companies are doing to mitigate the risk exposure that they have to antibiotic use in order for me to fill out the entire investment mosaic. In other words, if less antibiotics are going to be used in livestock production, that would have an impact on companies that sell antibiotics. Uh, that That's the risk side. It's also should be said that there are opportunities that these same companies could capitalize on if they have a sound strategy in place for a future where excessive antibiotic use is non-existent. Uh, but it's not all just about understanding how this relates to the financials or how it impacts us as shareholders in these companies. There is increasing investor focus on what impacts all stakeholders, not just shareholders. And this is something that's called responsible investing or ESG investing. And when it comes to AMR, its impact on public health, we're all stakeholders. As you mentioned, there are meaningful ramifications for antibiotic overuse. So with that wider lens that investors have put on in these environmental social areas, uh, AMR fits squarely within that purview. You mentioned profits. You also mentioned um, the need for um, stakeholder collaboration. And how are you working? How is working with companies um, on the issue of AMR? As long-term investors in the companies that manufacture antimicrobials, we have an opportunity to, to engage with companies. We have an opportunity to engage uh, for insight, to understand where they're coming from, and also to engage for action. Companies we found generally do respond when investors let them know that this is a real risk uh, market or general stakeholder-wise. It's a matter of challenging companies, asking them the questions, and understanding what their strategy is uh, to, to operate in a future world where antimicrobial use isn't going to be as high. Have you seen there to be an evolution in terms of how they respond to, to the issue of AMR? I mean, 
do you see a lot of pushback or, or is that something that uh, is, is no longer the case? Responding to the market is the first thing that companies tend to do. In the U.S. at least, we, we saw a significant decline in antimicrobial use in certain species with changes in regulations and the companies responded to that if they hadn't to already. Prior to that, they were already responding by shifting their focus away from antimicrobials. So there was definitely a sense that the world is moving to less non-therapeutic use of antimicrobials. How do we adjust to that? So we've seen companies move to vaccines. Uh, we've seen companies stress R&D and diagnostics, basically moving outside of the market for antimicrobials. So they've responded in that way. Uh, they continue to respond over time in, in different ways. I think the push more recently is something uh, Professor Gaze was talking about, that the manufacture of antimicrobials. You know, that's something harder to get transparency on. So as investors, we're asking for transparency in manufacture of, of antibiotics. I think in particular, current animal health manufacturing practices set little to no restrictions on the concentration of antimicrobials in waste streams. We, we saw that the G7 Health Minister has recently called for the need to address the release of antimicrobials into the environment as a result of um, manufacturing and other methods and the risk this ultimately poses um, from an AMR perspective. What steps do you see investors um, that they want to see from both regulators and companies on this issue to improve transparency and ultimately tackle these risks? You know, as investors, we generally don't push on regulators and, and ask them to make changes. We respond to what regulators are doing. You know, but in an ideal world, anything that would establish standards on manufacturing antibiotics, antimicrobials would go a long way to help. Also, regulators have been asking, depending on the countries, have been asking for more information. So reporting the sales of antimicrobials, uh, reporting the sales of antimicrobials by species, that sort of information shows that regulators are paying attention and then researchers can use that information to determine where uh, use is excessive and, and where it can be uh, drawn down. We can challenge our companies and continue to ask them questions. Uh, you know, supply chain is, is a very non-transparent area. You mentioned G7. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of antimicrobial uh, manufacturing is being done outside of G7 countries. So asking the companies about their supply chain, understanding where API production is, mapping out the supply chain, asking them if they have standards for their suppliers, these are all types of questions that we could ask our companies to challenge them, understand if, they're, if they have a, a good strategy around antimicrobial production and sales. And Will, what are some of the policy levers that you want to see happen to tackle antimicrobial waste and, again, ultimately reduce antimicrobial discharge into the environment? Yeah, we're beginning to see several different mechanisms emerge. In Europe, we have a water framework directive, which basically is um, from the European Union, which actually sets thresholds for hazardous chemicals in different environmental matrices. So at the moment, there are no antibiotics on that hazardous compound list or priority substances list, but they, there is also a watch list of compounds where the uh, commission is looking at evidence 
um, that's emerging at the moment. So there's now um, several antibiotics that have been placed on the watch list. So over the next few years, as as more evidence is um, available, a decision may be made then whether those antibiotics or some of them are placed onto the priority substances list. And at that point, they become a regulatory lever. There's also other other things such as um, in the UK, for example, the government have now actually allocated funding for a, an environmental surveillance program for antimicrobial resistance, which is being run by the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs um, and the Environment Agency. But these things are right in the very beginnings, really, of, of these types of mechanisms, because at the moment there is no routine environmental surveillance for either antimicrobials or antibiotic-resistant bacteria. But we can see that they are on the cusp of emerging and being something that will become more established in the future. Have you got a view perhaps on how investors and other stakeholders perhaps can help accelerate and help generate greater momentum to ensure that the pace of change is a little quicker than what it's what has happened in the past? I think you can use the Pharmaceutical Industry Alliance as an example where the actual pharmaceutical industry have anticipated that this will happen. So they are actually have a voluntary roadmap for reducing um, discharges from manufacturing plants, for example. So it's not just a a government regulatory um, processes that are emerging. There are within the sort of pharmaceutical industry itself, there's sort of a a self-regulation going on. There's also wider perception by the public, of course. So um, we know that public perception is driving choices in purchasing of 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 food, for example, that you know in different that it's produced in different ways. Of course, each individual has different drivers based on their income, for example. But um, we we've seen, haven't we, in in the US that certain big brands have um, have uh, signed up for antibiotic free production, um, and and those are those are additional drivers. So, I think it's we can see on every single level that there are beginning to be movement in terms of um, steps to reduce usage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen a number of food, large food companies announcing policies to tackle AMR. I mean, we've seen KFC serving chicken raised without antibiotics, important to human medicine, for example. Chipotle says that their meat is raised without antibiotics. And McDonald's and Wendy's have also pledged to address antibiotic use in their beef supply chain. So a lot of movement in, in that space. But how can we measure success when it comes to um, antibiotics production and ultimately use in food production? Um, what does an ambitious antibiotic stewardship policy actually look like for all the different players in the supply chain, such as the manufacturers and sellers of, of these drugs, all the way to the animal protein producers? And what should investors and consumers look out for? Lots of questions to unpack there. The answer to your first question, how do we measure success? The obvious answer there is a a decline in antibiotic sales uh, for use in livestock. Whether or not it's therapeutic or non-therapeutic, it's it's patently clear that there's too much use of antibiotics. So any decline in antibiotic sales would be a success. To your other question about ambitious stewardship policies, transparency is... First and foremost, transparency reporting. Uh, would love to see those companies that manufacture antibiotics uh, report the percentage of sales that are from antibiotics, maybe even going down at a more granular level, uh, sales by species, making sure that all the companies involved have published policies around sales and promotion and manufacturing 
and that they're tracking enforcement of those policies. And then finally, the companies that are involved on the vet and livestock producer side, the animal health companies, a policy that's ambitious would involve collaboration with those vets and, and livestock producers. So, you know, ultimately, those are the end users of, of these products. And to see companies having some sort of collaboration with those end users would all amount to a, a good uh, stewardship policy. Of course, we should remember that in Europe, that uh, antibiotics used for growth promotion was stopped in 2006. So for 15 years, it's not been possible to use antibiotics for growth promotion. So that obviously, that's a major regulatory driver, which has already been put in place. It's arguable how successful that was, because, of course, you know, the difference between metaphylaxis and growth promotion is, is subtle. But that was part of the, the, the sort of direction of travel in Europe. More recently, there have been efforts at governmental level to reduce usage. But also, in turn, in the UK, for example, that has resulted in a voluntary reduction um, of over 50% of, in antibiotic usage in the livestock sector in anticipation of regulation or to to preempt regulation if the industry can show good practice. What, one other particularly strange thing about antibiotics or antimicrobials is that these are life-saving drugs, and yet they are so cheap. You know, if you think about the cost of cancer treatments, you know, even cancer treatments that might prolong people's lives by just a few months or a few years, you know, people are willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for those types of treatments. And yet antibiotics, which save people's lives all the time, they're just pence or cents, you know, they're, they're incredibly cheap. And that's partly because a lot of them are out of patent. So they're, they're generics, of course. But that's a wider societal question is about why we are using what are essentially life-saving drugs to reduce the cost of food production by, in some cases, quite a small margin. So there are financial levers, I think, which, of course, might occur. You know, for example, you could imagine if there was a tax put on antimicrobial usage for, for, for food production, that might reduce usage hugely because in some cases the margins are very, are very small. And I've, I've heard anecdotally that you know, um, livestock producers have actually reduced usage or stopped usage and actually hasn't had any impact on productivity because the reason they're using them is not based necessarily all, always, I'm talking globally now, not just particular markets or particular sectors. It's not always based on good practice or even on evidence. You know, people just add antibiotics because they think that's the thing that you, sh you should do. You know, in, in some parts of the world, antibiotics are added to feed and, and, and the people that are doing that don't even know really what those drugs are doing. So again, there are, there's so much complexity here, but uh, I've been working in this area for 20 years and it seems that there's been a step change in the way that society is viewing the usage of antibiotics and livestock production and how you might regulate on that and the environmental discharges of resistant bacteria and antibiotics from, from veterinary but also from um, human usage in the last five years or even three years. You know, it's almost an acceleration of the rate of travel in this direction. Just reiterating Professor Gay's point about uh, consumer change, that's been a big driver uh, in, in reduction. Companies that see the future have adjusted to that, particularly in the U.S. poultry market. We've seen antibiotic use go down significantly, and that's based on the consumer with a combination of regulation change, vet feed directors here in the U.S., and industry reacting to that. 
to Professor Gay's point on the economics, you know, companies would be better served with a strategy that anticipates lower antibiotic use by investing in R&D in antibiotic alternatives. That's yet another way that companies can managed through reduction in antibiotic use. There's also this ongoing education piece, isn't there, around educating consumers, because there's still a lot of consumers out there that um, are not not aware of, of how their food is being produced. And again, from an investor piece, there's still continuous education in, in that space. With regards to um, a lot of the emerging markets, There are we are starting to see regulation to curb use come into play um, in in a lot of countries, actually. But there are still challenges around um, education at the farmer level, um, but also around enforcement. And I'm interested to hear from either of you um, if you have any thoughts, perhaps, on the role, again, that companies can play there. And obviously, that regulators can also play there. You know, companies play a role. They have salespeople going out to the end users of these products, and they can educate those end users. I said before, you know, an ambitious stewardship policy would include a collaboration between the two. And, and that's really that. Uh, they have that touch point to educate the end users who are, you know, vets or livestock producers. And they can do that. You know, we might anticipate in a sort of a post-COVID world that where people are focusing more on infectious diseases, you know, so the, the, the public at large really have become much more educated about infection and about, um, you know, epidemiology. They know what, you know, an R, R value is and all this sort of thing. So that's going to be a huge change. When we see that the, the, the sort of focus moves away from coronavirus and COVID, maybe more towards the, you know, this, this emerging pandemic of, of antimicrobial resistant infections, that people will change their behaviours. So there's been, for example, even um, personal for David and I, you know, this, the US-UK trade deal discussions, there was a lot of discussions around the fact that, um, you know, antibiotic usage and say beef reduction is, is is several times higher in the US than in the UK. So that that has been talked about in the media. So the general public are becoming more educated about the fact that, you know, not all meat is the same. If, if you buy meat from one of the emerging markets where there's very low regulation, then that will have very different antibiotic usage profiles. And because antibiotic resistance and AMR is a global issue, you know, what emerges in one part of the world spreads to other parts of the world very rapidly. So I think that the way that people think about this issue in terms of the general public and regulators is just really changing very rapidly. And we may see that that, that rate of change increases, um, you know, when COVID becomes less of a concern and we focus on other emerging issues. For you both, just to, to wrap up this conversation today, I mean, are there any key action points that you would like to see either from investors, from companies, um, from regulators or broader stakeholders? For me, I think people can ask their local politicians or those people that are in control of the quality of their environment, whether it be the air or the water, are they considering this issue? Is there surveillance for antimicrobial resistance? How do they know that that their environments, the water they might swim in, or you know that you know the air that they they're they're breathing in is not contaminated by antibiotic resistant bacteria. The other thing, of course, is that um, people need to ask their food producers. You know, how was this food produced? Where was it produced? What antimicrobials were used in its production? Even even that locally, individuals can can ask those questions of those 
people that are tasked with providing them with a safe and healthy environment and and good quality food. I would just say as investors, we have an opportunity to have conversations with management of these companies that produce antibiotics. So I think what we can do is open up the conversation, have that conversation with, with the company, ask for better disclosures, ask how they plan to operate in a future where antimicrobial use is less, what they're doing to mitigate the risk around lower antibiotic sales. Just having the conversation with companies, I think, goes a long way to helping them understand that this is an, an important issue, not for just shareholders, but also all stakeholders. Thank you very much to David and Professor at Will for um, being part of this conversation today. I think you've given us a lot to think about and appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Fair Conversations with me, Joe Raven. Join us next time for part two of this conversation on AMR risks, where we'll discuss health risks and responsible marketing. Fair's latest report, Feeding Resistance, Antimicrobial Stewardship in the Animal Health Industry, is out now and available to members at fair.org. Your feedback on our conversations is always welcome. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review on your chosen podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter at Fair Initiative, visit our website at fair.org, or sign up to our newsletter to be kept up to date with our latest research. We hope you'll join us next time for more conversations about intensive animal agriculture and the future of food for investors. Thank you. Thank you.